you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you so much. Just uh, in the spirit of thanksgiving, Lord, and having a day to intentionally think about how thankful, how grateful we are, Lord, uh, for family and friends and everything that we have. But Lord, how thankful are we to have you? Really, that's the most important thing, Lord. So we thank you for your son, Lord. We thank you for the gift of life, Lord. And may we be good stewards of the lives that we have. Thank you for this time in your word this morning, Lord. Would you bless it? And would you just clear our minds, Lord, and help to give us focus, Lord. And we lift up all of our praise. And all of the glory and honor goes to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Good morning. You can be seated. Hope your Thanksgiving was blessed and the most blessed. Is that proper English? Probably not. I uh, want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. We're so glad that you are. A couple things real quick before we get started. Actually, real quick Maui update. I've been talking with Pastor Steve Santos about an exciting project that we're working on together. Looking forward to sharing that with you when the time comes. This is in addition to our ongoing Maui mission support, including the providing of vehicles, supplies, rent, and other needs which are still so great and still so many. Also, as I mentioned last week, we've identified a ministry in Israel that we as a church are now supporting financially. They're well established and they provide ministry discipleship to IDF soldiers. These are brothers and sisters in Christ in the Israeli Defense Force there. Uh, they also provide humanitarian aid to both Arabs and Jews, and they have an Arabic outreach in which they bring the gospel to Muslims, and not just the Muslims, but the Jews with them, because both Muslims and Jews need the true Jesus. And they do all of that. So, Lord willing, and if we're still here, if we're still here, I'm hoping to again provide ongoing updates on our Israel mission support. But what we're really excited about and looking forward to is Nepal. I'm going to have Wally Amara and the Nepal missions team come up at this time. Uh, uh, they're going to share and then we're going to have a time of prayer. They leave for Nepal on Wednesday, by the way. And then they come back. Yeah, praise the Lord, right? And then they come back on the 26th. Come on up, Pastor Mac, Pastor Leitu, by the way. Please continue to pray. Uh, he is still recovering from his second knee replacement surgery. It hurts just to say it. Uh, so he was very instrumental, actually, in uh, setting up the Nepal missions trip. But uh, he cannot uh, be here today, but he is with us today in spirit and in prayer. So uh, I just want to turn it over to Mara. Okay, it's yours. Wait, not yet. This is classified up here, what we're doing. So, <laughs> okay. Sorry. Good morning, church family. Morning. In Nepal, we would say Jamasi, which is a Christian greeting, meaning 
Victory in Christ the Messiah. We are Wally and Mara Tanaka, and we're so privileged to be leading this amazing medical mission team that we believe was put together by God himself. Our veteran team members are Adele Oshiro, Doreen Matsuda, RN, and Patrick Viernes. And we're so excited for our first timers, Dr. Christopher Dubuque, Jeanette Rosehill, Kimo Cuepo, Tom Stoll, Trevor Zahn, and our granddaughter, Kennedy Tengon, who is also an RN. Our home front prayer team leader, Sue Sargis, has put together a great informational flyer with a calendar to follow along on our mission and pray accordingly. Copies are at the information center in the lobby. So all the necessary preparations and packing have been done. And on Wednesday, we will begin our two-day journey to Nepal. We will hit the ground running as we have a full schedule of six days of free medical camps, three of which are in new areas. In the past, we have seen more than 800 patients. Fortunately, we have a local doctor, nurse, pharmacist, and others in the partnership with us as we, with one heart, share the love of Christ through the meeting of physical needs. This is the plan up until the time we leave Nepal. But as Proverbs 16:9 says, the mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And we are counting on that. It used to be that we could pretty much count on things working out as planned. But something happened in early 2020 that changed things. Since then, planning missions to Nepal has been filled with uncertainties and unknowns. Even now, every step is a step of faith. Would there be a lockdown due to a war or climate change? Would there be unreasonable passport requirements? What if they make us test again? What if we got a false positive result? Would all of our 1,100 pounds of checked luggage make it through? Or will we be subject to fines or worse, confiscation? But God is faithful and he never changes. Like Wally and I went to Nepal in early February of 2020, just two days after returning to Hawaii, all flights out of South Korea were stopped. You see, we know about the rough mountain roads. We know about the effects of higher altitudes. We know it will be colder than we're used to. We know that we'll be sleeping in sleeping bags on the ground but we never face so many unknowns or, and what ifs before 2020. But this we do know. We know that our loving Heavenly Father holds our future in his hands. And each member of this team knows this truth and we go with that confidence. Please pray that our families at home have this same peace. We covet your continued prayers until December 16, 
when we set our feet back on this island. Of course, should the rapture take place, we'll have a head start because we're being at a higher elevation. <laughs> we are so blessed to be sent out under the covering of this church. Thank you, Pastor JD, and thank you, Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Um, can you guys gather in? I showered today, so. <laughs> All the way in. Because we want to pray for you, lay hands on you, and uh, send you guys out, okay? So, come, come up. can you guys come in a little bit closer? Here, get up there. I can move this over here. Plus, I can still yell, too, you know. Are we good? Are we in? All right. Would you join me and let's pray for the, this amazing team that God put together? Father in heaven, thank you so so much. You love the people of Nepal so much that you would, from an obscure church on the windward side of the island of Oahu, assemble a team, some experience, some in the medical community for this medical missions trip. And even now you're going before them, preparing the people that have the greatest needs to be ministered to. But as Mara shared, there are so many unknowns and it's into your hands that we commit these unknowns. We know that they are safe under the shadow of your wings in the palm of your hands. But Lord, the onus is on us while they're there to pray for them here. And so, Lord, would you put it on our hearts each and every day, we've got the itinerary to pray specifically for them so that upon their return, we can look forward to a good report of all that you did, because this is only something you could do. And so you get all the glory, all the glory do your holy name, Jesus. And so, Lord, we send them off. And it's in the name of Jesus that we do so. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you. I could never do that, by the way. I'm sorry, no. The Lord convicted you, you know, the heavy hand of the Lord. So I just want to introduce you to my doctor. This is Dr. Chris Dubuque. Yeah. He uh, cannot share with you any medical information that's private, but I just wanted to introduce you to my doctor, Dr. Chris Dubuque. Anyway, we're just really excited for you uh, going on this mission trip. He told me last week that this has actually been an answer to prayer for him. He's been praying about doing something like this for such a long time. So thank you. 
Please keep him in prayer. Love you, brother. God bless you. God bless you, please. <laughs> I asked him if he'd be my doctor, and he said, let me pray about it. So, <laughs> no, he didn't. He was... All right. Well, good morning and welcome. This is our prophecy update. We do first service. Second service is the sermon, actually, a verse-by-verse study through the Bible. We're currently in 3 John, and today's text will be verses 9 through 11. And what we're going to do is look at several ways to identify people like the diatrophies of the Apostle John's day, who are not only wrong in a church, but do that which is wrong to a church. And so that'll be live streamed 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time today. And for those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we encourage you to go directly to the website, jdfarag.org. And there you will find the uncensored and uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get to it. What I want to talk with you about today is how what's coming is that which points us to who's coming. And the reason being is that there are numerous and voluminous prophetic signs about what's coming, but their purpose is to prepare us for who's coming. I think we do err greatly when we focus our attention on the what, especially when it comes at the expense of the who. Who? Jesus. As I shared last week, if it doesn't get me to Jesus, I'm not interested. Because everything points to Jesus, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. But this is yet another one of those pitfalls, like I mentioned last week as well, concerning Bible prophecy, such that we tend to get hyper-focused on the signs. And the problem with this is the sign is merely there to point to and provide direction for the very reason the sign is there in the first place. Here's an illustration. Again, this is the best one I got. So if you got a better one, please let me know. There's a sign in Honolulu. Why is it there? What's the purpose for that sign being there in Honolulu? It's there to point me to and provide me direction for my final destination, which is Kaneohe. I hear there's a great church on the windward side. That's what the purpose of the sign is. So in this illustration, the sign in Honolulu are the prophecies in the Bible pointing me to my final destination. It's fulfilled its purpose. The sign is not done away with. It's still still there. It's just fulfilled the purpose for being there in the first place. That's what signs are. That's what Bible prophecy is. It's for a purpose. And if you really wanted to, and we've talked about this prior, they're called appointed times that 
point to the time that was appointed. <laughs> I'll try that again. Uh, it's Moad in the Hebrew. It's the same word in my original language of Arabic, my native tongue, Moad. It means appointed time. Festival translated in Leviticus 23 when it comes to the feasts of the Lord given to Israel. They were all prophecies, Moads signs that pointed to a time yet future when they would be fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ. Example, the first three right out of the chute. Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. Crucifixion, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those three feasts, Moads, signs pointed to the person of Jesus Christ as the final destination in His first coming. However, for us, for me, our final destination is not just a place that's being prepared for us. It's a person who's taking us to that place He's prepared for us, that is in his father's house, that if it were not so, he would not have told us. So who is this person? Well, his name is Jesus. And his name is the name above all names. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2.9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. It was because of the name of Jesus that Peter and John were taken into custody by Annas, Caiaphas, and others in the high priest's family. In Acts chapter 4 verse 7 we're told, that they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. And here was the question they asked of them. By what power or what name did you do this? What did they do? Oh man, people were getting saved and healed. Lepers were being cleansed. The cripples were being healed. And so they're, they're questioning Peter and John, how did you do that? By what power or what name did you do this? Then in verse 10, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, key, by the way, answers them saying, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That's his name. And then Peter goes on in verse 12, and of the name of Jesus says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The name Jesus only. All right. Let's get to the point. Some of you are saying, please do. 
The point is actually the whole point, pun intended, is that everything points to the person of Jesus Christ. Starting in Genesis 1-1, by the way, all through Scripture, every book, every chapter in every book, virtually every verse in every book points to the person of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Even in the, the priestly service, the Levites in the tabernacle, and then subsequently in the temple when it was built, everything they would do pointed to the person of Jesus Christ, who would ultimately fulfill that which they were doing. The wave offering, not the wave offering, when we worship in the stadiums at those events. Well, that didn't go over too well. I'm going to leave that one right there between you and the Holy Spirit. This wave offering was north, south, east, west. Watch this. In the shape of a cross, pointing to the person of Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross. And that's, that's just one of many in fact, even just talking about the Moads, the feasts, the signs, the festivals, the Passover, fulfilled by the person of Jesus Christ, that tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, hello, <laughs> the firstborn son. But if you had the blood of the lamb inspected for four days, the number of days Jesus was on trial, we talk about this when we partake together of communion. Four days found to be without blemish, without spot, without wrinkle. And then at the exact time Jesus was crucified, they would take that innocent lamb and they would break its skin, not its bones, and they would shed its blood and they would take a hyssop branch like was brought up to Jesus, but they would take that hyssop branch, dip it in the blood of that lamb, and they'd put it on the doorposts of their house, top basin at the bottom, left side in the shape of a cross, so that death would pass over them. It all pointed to Jesus Christ, who would fulfill the Passover prophecy. That's the whole point. Everything points to Jesus. And every Bible prophecy that we have, both Old and New Testament, points us to the person of Jesus Christ, who's coming to take His church out of this world before the seven-year tribulation. However, we still have a problem. What's the problem? The problem is that we're parked at the signs, or worse yet, we're just staying focused on the signs. So here's Bible prophecy. We're just looking at the Bible prophecy. You're parked there. You got it in park. This is what I'm hoping to do today is to get it in gear. Get it out of park get it in gear, and get to Jesus, because that's what that prophecy is there for. 
Whenever you read therefore in the Bible, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? That could be asked of Bible prophecy. What is that prophecy there for? Oh, it's there, not for me to just park, tailgate. I'm still bringing up those sports. Uh, <laughs> wow, I'm stepping on some toes. I can tell already. I better stop. No, that, that, that prophecy is there to point you in the right direction and to get you moving in that direction, because that is there to get you to Jesus. If it doesn't get you to Jesus, then it has not fulfilled the purpose for being there in the first place. And, and by the way, let me, let me define Bible prophecy. I hope I'm not I'm not angry, <laughs> by the way, it might seem like it, but it's a custom in my country to yell. <laughs> Bible prophecy, broadly speaking, is that which was foretold would take place yet future. That's what Bible prophecy is. And who's the spirit of prophecy? Jesus. It's the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, Bible prophecy is prophecy about Jesus, period. Don't put a comma there, please. Now here's why, and here's how, because we're going to get it in gear. I'm putting myself in there too. I'll take one for the team. That's fine. We're going to put it in gear and get to Jesus. First, the why. Simply put, and I hope you don't tire of me saying this, because I think I say it every week, probably more than once. Jesus is coming, and we must get Jesus to people and people to Jesus now. Now. Here's how. By taking the signs that are all around us of what's coming, and redirect the attention to who's coming. Let's not stay parked at that sign. So let's do that. And to do that, I've created another chart, since I'm pretty sure that this is what I'm going to be doing for all eternity. <laughs> and with great joy, I might add, because I love charts, I love lists. I, I know they have clinical terms for this, but I, my theory is this. Everything in here is so kapakahi that when I'm able to create a chart and organize it and list it, it overcompensates for, that's enough, that's too much information, and don't talk to my doctor about it either. So, but I, I, the, the chart is actually a list of these aforementioned signs slash prophecies along with all the other prophecies in the Bible, all of which point to Jesus coming soon and very soon. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, for that capono. It's Thanksgiving, so I'm giving you thanks for doing that. So this list, again, the purpose of it is to get in gear and get to Jesus and get others to Jesus. Now, it's not exhaustive. It's not in any particular order. But these are just some of the many signs that point us to who's coming, and dare I say, who's soon coming. 
And by the way, it's not Santa Claus who's coming to town. Number one, I'll go through these quickly because we've covered these in depth in prior updates over the years. But this one is hot right now for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons. It's the prophecy about an invasion into Israel from the north by an alliance of nations prophesied in Ezekiel 38. And the purpose of this prophecy points us to the person of Jesus Christ. How do you get there? Because Israel is ground zero for Bible prophecy. Everything goes down in Israel that happens to Israel and with Israel, especially when it comes to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We'll talk about that in a moment. We've got a lot of things we're going to talk about in a moment. Well, just hang on. Number two, and this one is, I mean, they're all biggies, but if I'm going to spend some time on one of them, it's probably this one that I should spend that time on. You're familiar with this account, particularly in Matthew 24, when the disciples come to Jesus and ask Him, what are going to be the signs of your return and the end of the age? It's really, if you look at it, it's a threefold question. But the, the basis for the question is, what are going to be the signs? So Jesus answers. And you know His answer, right? Interesting, the first sign that He says will point to how soon I'm coming will be deception. Let no man deceive you. False Christ saying, there He is over there, there He is over there. Deception, number one. And then He goes on to grocery list, as it were, that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There's going to be famine, pestilence, plagues, earthquakes in various diverse places. And then he likens them to birth pains, which come in greater frequency and greater intensity. And those are the signs. And not only does he give them the signs that point to his return, he also includes with those signs how soon he'll return. Because they're going to increase. There will be an increase like labor pains, a woman in labor. The birth pains come with greater frequency and greater intensity. So the more frequent those birth pains slash prophecies come, the more intense those birth pains slash prophecies are, the closer it is to when I come for you. That's what that prophecy points to. Number three, a worldwide cry for peace and security. I've been following this particular prophecy in 1 Thessalonians 5.3 since the 80s. Peace and security, in that order. Because you're not going to have national security, homeland security, until you first have peace. Peace and security. Now, some of your translations render it peace and safety. It's the Greek word asphalia, which can be translated safety, security, or even stability. 
So we'll say of a region, there's instability when there's a war. No, not instability, stability, security, safety, peace and security. And this prophecy is so powerful in how it points to Jesus Christ and the soon rapture of the church of Jesus Christ is because he says very detailed that while they're saying those two words, peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them like a woman in labor. There's your labor pains again, and they will not escape. Now stay with me. This is why this, I'm spending more time on this one. I said I wouldn't do that. Just let me have it though. Interesting, sudden destruction comes down on them, but we are not them, we are we. And we who are still alive and remain are going to be caught up when sudden destruction goes down. Never mind. Number four. Did you make that connection? Is this happening? Are they saying peace and security? You can hardly read an article on a worldwide level dealing geopolitically about anything, anywhere, at any time that doesn't have those two exact words that they are saying. Oh, that one gives me chicken skin. Number four an intoxicating obsession with dividing Jerusalem into two. We know it as the two-state solution. Hitler's final solution repackaged. Why do I say that? Because for Islam, there's no such thing as peace with Israel. In fact, according to the Hadith, peace with Israel means the destruction of Israel They don't want peace with Israel. They don't want to live side by side in peace and security, group hug with Israel. No. Muhammad and Saladin after him would make peace with their enemy and then destroy them. By the way, that's Daniel 8 too, which we could talk about in number five. You can include it with Daniel 9, 27. But it's the enforcing. I'll use the word enforcing. This is the, another one of those places in the Old Testament where the Hebrew word is the same as my native tongue of Arabic. It's the word ikbir, ikbir. You get to spit on everybody, free baptisms today in the front row. But it, it carries with it the idea of enforcing, strengthening, making stronger, something confirming something that's already there. In other words, it's already on the table. We just got to execute it. We've got to enforce it. We have to make it ikbir. It's this enforcing of a seven-year peace agreement with many. And here again is where the destruction comes. That's what Daniel 8 says. I want to say it's verses 44 and 45 that very interesting, depending on your translation. With his policy of peace, can I say foreign policy of peace? He will destroy many. Through peace, he will destroy many. Peace and security, then sudden destruction. 
Daniel 9.27, talk about detailed prophecy. In the midst of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist is going to commit the abomination that causes desolation, and the Jews are going to flee for the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. And they're going to flee to what many believe to be Petra in modern-day Jordan, where God will protect Israel for the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, because that's the purpose of the tribulation, is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. And they're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at the midpoint when they realize that this Messiah is not their true Messiah, because our true Messiah would never commit an abomination in the temple of God, setting Himself up as God and declaring that He is worshiped as God. Number six. Uh, for those of you who still watch news, I don't and haven't for almost two years now, by the way. And by the way, I sleep a lot better. And it's not just my BiPAP machine. Again, don't talk to my doctor, but it's, it's not just that. It's amazing. It's been almost two years. I have noticed, I mean, you probably haven't noticed, I'm calmer. <laughs> At home. That's at home. Because I don't have any, any TVs to scream at anymore. So I just scream at my family. But for those of you who still watch the news, this is all over, isn't it? I've even, as far as social media, we have a team that does our social media. I'm very careful about the news feed that I, you know, scroll down the dopamines going, yeah, 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 you know, scroll, scroll, scroll unprecedented increase. I mean, I'm hearing from some of the visitors that come from the mainland, which by the way, if you're visiting with us today, we're just thrilled you're here. I always like to take a, an opportunity after the service to meet you and talk with you and hear from you. And I'm told by you that the cities, you, you can't even go through them anymore major cities in the United States of America, because of the lawlessness and the wickedness, what you're met with are shuttered businesses. The police don't even want to go there. I mean, it, it's just unthinkable. And we have prophecies about that, this increase, this unprecedented increase of evil, wickedness and lawlessness. Number seven, perilous times the likes of which the world has never before seen. This is Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. We've gone through this extensively, done a deep dive on this when we did our verse by verse study through First and Second Timothy. But this is where Paul, by the Holy Spirit, lists 19 characteristics of the last days that will point to the soon coming of Jesus Christ. He says, perilous times will come. And then he goes to, on to expound on what those perilous times, signs of the times will look like. And if you go through that list, it's chilling. Now, some of those words, granted, are not in our vocabulary today, because as you know, our vocabulary has disintegrated and deteriorated. I mean, you know, <laughs> you just about can't use certain words anymore. Even in well-versed people, you know, they, they don't, you know, treacherous, treacherous. Is that a movie? Is that a, that, is that a new movie that came out? Oh no, it's a video game, treacherous. 
No, look, look it up what that means. That's just one of 19. Brutal, violent, disobedient to parents, rebellious, defiant. I mean, it's a, it's a chilling list. And everything on that list is a description of and a sign that points us to the soon return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. And by the way, the perilous times of today are the likes of which we've never seen before, nor will we ever see again. Because you have to understand, and I know this is deeply profound, but the last days are the last days. I'll try that again. That's the last. There's nothing that comes after that, because that's the last. The last days. You got all these days. You get, you're getting to the last of days. The la last days. Is there anything? No, because I was the last. I will never do that again. I will never try that again. Number eight, <laughs> the mocking of Bible prophecy. How about this one? That's a prophecy. The mocking of Bible prophecy. The mocking and the ridiculing, the scoffing of the pre-tribulation rapture and subsequent second coming. We just did our verse by verse study through first and second Peter. Second Peter three, right out of the chute. <laughs> you guys, I mean, this is a loose paraphrase. You have to understand that in the last days, people are going to mock and ridicule and laugh at you. You're going to be the laughing stock of the town. <laughs> Where's this? promise of His coming. Everybody thought, my dad's 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 great-grandfather's great-great-great-great-grandfather's dog thought it was going to be his lifetime. And yet, where is he? And they're going to mock you and scoff at you and ridicule you and belittle you. And the closer we get, the worse it gets. I've never seen it like this. I've been studying Bible prophecy for well nigh 40 years. I've been walking with Jesus for over 40 years, and I've been teaching Bible prophecy for over 30 years. I've never seen it like it is right now. And social media does not help. Ah, uh, yeah, I went there. I might as well. I mean, I already opened up this can. I'll just say it. And again, I say this in love. And from my heart, and the Lord knows my heart, be very, very, very careful with social media. What do you post on social media? Are you getting into an argument with, with somebody on social media? You're never going to argue anybody into the kingdom. You might win the argument, but you're going to lose the opportunity. You know, I was just talking to Pastor Mac about this in my own life. I've got to be careful. I don't want to divulge too much because I'm the pastor. I'm very godly and humble and righteous. And so, but I just still know that, you know, like Paul said, there, what dwells in me that is in my flesh, it's dormant, but man, it's, it's still there. There dwelleth no good thing. It rears its ugly head. And what I'm talking about is the fight in me. Oh, there's still a fight in there. And that, and God has to fight the fight that is in me. Because 
it can come out. Because let's be honest with ourselves. Who among us doesn't like a good fight? I mean, we pay money to watch a fight. I mean, we want, we're doing this. And then here we are arguing with people. Like that's going to, like have you ever, and I'm asking this sincerely. I mean, I already know the answer to it. I guess it's rhetorical in a sense. But have you ever been like, I mean, in a heated argument with somebody, you know, in Jesus' name, you know, and have you ever had them stop and go, wow, you're right. What must I do to get saved? <laughs> have you ever had that? I didn't think so. I, ha- I haven't. In fact, it's been pretty much the opposite. They see me coming, they go the other way. Number nine is where I want to spend the remainder of our time on. And it's the forming, for lack of a better word, of a one world religion, one world government, and one world economy. And they're all found in Revelation chapter 13, starting with the one world religion, Revelation 13, 4. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? That's a one world religion where they worship. One world government, verse 7, Revelation 13. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. Now this, I'm not going to get into it. This is not the church or the bride These are those who come to Jesus Christ in the tribulation. They're affectionately referred to as tribulation saints. And to overcome them, and I want you to listen very carefully, an authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every nation on earth. Every tribe, every tongue, every country. One world economy. This is uh, one of those places in God's Word where you've heard, read the prophecy so many times, you kind of, it loses its um, punch. So what I want to do is, if you'll indulge me, I want to read verses 15 through 18. There's a reason why. You'll see why in a moment. But this is the prophecy of the one world economy that points us to Jesus, who is coming to take us out of this world before the tribulation, when this is fulfilled. Let's start in verse 15. He was given power, hang on to that word, to give breath to the image, hang on to that word, of the first beast, so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom, verse 18. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is a man's number. His number is 666. Okay. What if I told you that every one of these prophetic signs and 
50, many others with them are to a prophecy. That's not hyperbole, literally to a prophecy. Not only what's coming, but in some way already here today and in play. Question. If what I said is true, and it absolutely without question is true, they are all in play today. Question, wouldn't it stand to reason that Jesus could rapture His church today? Okay, pastor, you're doing it again. You know, when you do that thing you do, <laughs> what, what do you do? Well, you're just so sure. How can you be so sure? You're, you're so dogmatic. I have a PhD in dogmatic when it comes to the pre-tribulation rapture, I'll have you know. Well, how can you be so sure that, that it's already in play today, this one world prophecy? Answer, the one world sign is already here. Just look at today's airplanes. I received an email from Kathy Green, who's an online member from North Carolina, with photos of all the airlines from all over the world that now already say, one world. Now, this came as quite a surprise to me, because I have not been on an airplane in four years, since 2019, of my own volition, by the way. And I actually have no desire to. It's like God took away the desire to. That's why I'm not going to Nepal with you guys. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Pray for them, man. That, you guys are in the air for two days, right? It takes two days air travel to get there with all the stops, right? Wow, man, I'm just going to pray for you. I just want to cry for you right now. But have you seen the airplanes lately? I've got some pictures for you. These are one world airlines. America, Germany, Sri Lanka, Finland, Australia, Malaysia, the Middle East. Add to this Japan, Britain, Qatar, Hungary, Spain, Brazil, and China, both not pictured. And lastly, Russia, just to mention a few. They have taken their, their airplanes, their fleet of airplanes, and they have removed their logos and their names, and they now also, if you guys, when you, I hope they don't, if you, if you get on a plane that says one world, we'll really pray for you. Okay. They've taken it off, and they, what have they replaced it with? One world. Wow. Right here. All nations, just a matter of time, in the world will follow the one world, and it's happening right now in real time and at breakneck speed. And please, please, please don't just take my word on this. Be a Berean and search the Scriptures yourself and do your own research on this. Well, 
if you'll kindly allow me to, I'd like to at this time take the remainder of our time and look at just this one, one world prophecy and how it almost standalone in and of itself points us to who's coming and not only who's coming, but how soon He's actually coming. So we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook. At the risk of an oversimplification, the one world religion, one world government, and one world economy will come by way of, in one word, COVID. Go ahead, get the eye rolls over with. Ugh. There you go again. Really? How do you even get there? You're telling me that the one world religion, the one world government, and the one world economy are all going to come by way of COVID? Yeah. Will you let me explain? Okay, I will then. I want you to think this through with me. Because I know a lot of you think I've completely lost it, that my cheese gone slid off my cracker. That's all right. I want you to think this through with me. Let's just, let's just be reasonable. God's given us a, an intellect and an ability to reason. Let's be reasonable. Let's reason through this together, okay? Let's rewind to 2020. That's when it started. Well, it was actually decades actually before that, but that's when it was set in motion. What was set in motion? The controlled demolition, really disintegration of the current world economy to force the population into a one world, one world bio-digital economy. And this one world bio-digital economy will require verification of vaccination using what is actually the satanic intelligence of what's known as blockchain technology vis-a-vis CBDC. Now stay with me. I know that was a lot. What's satanic intelligence? Actually, artificial intelligence is satanic intelligence. It's under the guise of AI, but it's actually satanic intelligence been downloaded to man. So Satan has downloaded to man with the promise of eternal life. You can live forever. Transhumanism. Uh, you think man came up with blockchain technology? Do you know how complex that is? That's satanic intelligence. In fact, to this day, for those of you that want to do the research, go try to find, oh, they do documentaries about who started blockchain, who invented it, except he doesn't exist. Hey, well, well, we're pretty sure, you know, this Sochi guy, you know, he was the guy that started this thing, came up with it. But 
Where is he? <laughs> we don't know. Well, you don't know because he doesn't exist. That's why you don't know where he is. I know who he is. His name is Lucifer, the devil, Satan. He goes by, he has a lot of aliases. That's who downloaded that to man. It is a verification system and technology. And that's why they're going to use blockchain technology to introduce, better said, force CBDCs. What's CBDC? Centralized keyword digital, centralized bank digital currency. Why does it have to be centralized? Because Satan is not omnipresent. What do you mean? Satan has to centralize everything because he cannot be everywhere at the same time. Only God can. God is all present, all powerful, all knowing. So the reason why Satan has to have everything centralized under the umbrella, if you will, of a one world, everything is because that way he can control it because he cannot be two places at one time. He's not omnipresent. That's why when somebody says, you can have some fun with it. I've done it. I probably still do it unknowingly. You can have some fun with it. Man, the devil tanned my hat this last week. The devil did? Oh, you must be a really high value target. The devil himself? He came to Oahu to tan your hat. And I mean, you say, the devil tanned my hat. No, it's not, because he can't be on Oahu and Maui and Kauai and at the same time. He can only be one place at one time. That's why he's got to have it one world, one place at one time, so he can control it. So it's a centralized bank digital currency by way of this blockchain technology, which all it is, is a verification technology, that once a transaction has been verified or whatever it is, that's been verified through a very complex computing. And by the way, it requires a tremendous amount of computing power to verify the transaction. Then a block gets added to the chain as it, it's verified. It's verification. That's all it is. It's a verification technology. So. Do you remember? I mean, I know my memory is failing me, but your memory is probably better than mine. Don't you remember that? Well, I, I talk to visitors all the time that as of May of this year could not come here without proof verification of vaccination. They could not enter the United States of America unless they had verification of vaccination. Have we already forgotten that? And so now they can, so they do, because they don't know if they're going to be able to again. Have we forgotten that you could not go? I had last week precious family from uh, Sydney, Australia. Just real quick, bear with me. They told me that they had drones overhead surveilling them and monitoring them every time they went out to get the mail or throw the rubbish. And you only had a certain amount of time. And there were drones making sure. I'm like, that, that was in Sydney? Yeah. What about Queensland? Not so much. Perth? Not so much. Sydney. You're from Sydney? Said, yeah. I said, I love you. <laughs> it wasn't that bad here. Can you imagine? 
They, they had to verify that you were in compliance with the restrictions. I think you've forgotten all about that. So now, how is this verification going to work? And how does this tie into Bible prophecy? Well, one's social and carbon credit score will determine what you're able to do and not do, buy or sell. In other words, if one's carbon credit score is too high, because after all, it's the environment, and or one's social credit score is too low, one will not be able to buy or sell as a result. You know how they suspend your social media accounts? They're going to suspend your bank account because it's all digital, all they got to do. In fact, it's just in the algorithms. There's not anybody clicking the mouse or doing anything. It's all algorithm based. Your social credit score is too low. Your carbon credit score is too high. You drove that one ton, that F-350, oh, quad cab, long bed, leather seats to the store to buy steak. Oh, now you've done it. And you go to pay for that steak. Your carbon credit score just got deducted. You should have drove that. Yeah, I don't even want to say it, man. You know how much damage those electric vehicle. If you drive an electric vehicle, you're still safe. We love you. I'm sorry, but true story. And you, you can check me on this. Do you know the damage it causes to the environment just to make one of these things? And then to keep one of the, and go try to do a road trip, those of you on the mainland. Uh, you know, the, what, what you could do in two weeks in a regular car, it's going to take you about two months because you've got to stop and charge and you can't go that far because your battery's dead. Okay, anyway, I didn't mean to go off on that. I just I needed to get that off my chest. And then you go to the store and all the front parking spots are for, so you're pulling up in your Hyundai, you know, say, oh, excuse me. Okay, I really took that too far, but I'm, I'm good now. I think I'm good now. So, but this new one world biodigital economy will be executed, and I use that word deliberately, by every nation on earth who have been, are now, and will continue to be in lockstep with the one world government, one world economy, and one world religion. Did you forget? 2020, the world became one. It didn't matter if you were in Tehran or Beijing or Honolulu. <laughs> no matter where you were in the world, the world was one in lockstep with everything. I think we forgot. I just reminded you, have a nice afternoon. I want to bring it to a landing with this most fascinating typology that's found in the book of Daniel. And the reason is, is that it paints a powerful picture on the canvas of this one particular one world prophecy. You're familiar with it, but 
Let's pick it up in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're told that Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image. Can you take that back out of your hip pocket? Image. Sound familiar? Image. It was an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, when you get to verses 4 through 6, we're provided with more specific details, more interesting details. We're told, verse 4, then a herald cried aloud. Here's the warning. Here's the sign. Here's what's coming. To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, all nations, all tribes, all languages, all countries, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and pipes, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship, worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Translated like Revelation, you're going to be killed if you refuse to worship the image. Are we, are we good? Are we following? I don't want to use the word tracking, because we already know we're being tracked. Now, when you get to verses 16 through 19, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refuse to worship the image, are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar, who is enraged. And listen to what they say to this king. Oh, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, ah, Esther, if I perish, I perish. Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my God will deliver, but if He doesn't, He doesn't. Let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then, verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And this is interesting, the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the inference being that his countenance was favorable towards them. And in the prior chapter, chapter 2 of Daniel, we are told why. So now he's completely changed. He's enraged, full of fury. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Well, you know, this account, it's into the seven times hotter fiery furnace they go, which is what we're told in verses 21 through 26. 
Then these men, speaking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were bound in their coats, their trousers, or turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't have time to prepare that they usually prepare. And plus, the furnace was already seven times hotter than it usually is. But because the king was so infuriated and had commanded them to do that, they throw them in bound into the furnace, and it's so hot it kills the guys who threw them in. Now, verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose. I know we talked about it last week. Maybe it bears repeating again this week. Sometimes God will allow you to go into the furnace, the fiery furnace of affliction, if for no other reason other than to burn off that which binds you and dominates you and masters you. Notice the detail. They're thrown in face down. Everything's bound from their feet, the bottom of their toes to the top of their head. They're all bound up, thrown in. Now they're loosed. The only thing the fire did was loose them, free them from that which they were bound with. (laughs) I not only see four. Didn't you bind them? I thought, did you not wrap that duct tape up good enough? Because they're loose. And they're walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. That's because, Nebuchadnezzar, it is the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus the Christ, in the midst of that seven times hotter, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Oh, now, now they're the servants of the Most High God. Before, pre-furnace, you were. And they wouldn't bow down and worship you. So servants of the Most High God, am I having too much fun with this? Come out. And come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, now we're good. No, that's what the, I I totally would not have done this. We're told they came from the midst of the fire. I totally would have stayed in that fire with Jesus. Really? Come out? You're the one that threw us in here in the first place. Besides, Jesus is here. All of this was to get me to Jesus. And you want me to come back out now? I'm good. Why don't you come in here? (laughs) Let's see how that works out for you. I am having too much fun with it. Okay, let's tie it together. Let's connect the dots of the 
typology as it relates to how what was coming to them then pointed to who was coming for them then. Stay with me. Don't let me lose you. I'm going to connect, make this connection from them then to us now. Let's start with the image. How about this? 60 cubits by six cubits with, did you count them, six instruments playing? That's a type, a picture of 666. And at the sound of the instruments, they were to worship the image. And if they refused to worship the image, they would be killed. That's what landed them in the fiery furnace to begin with. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a picture, a type of Israel. They will go into the seven-year tribulation, and Jesus will come and save them in the midst of the seven times hotter fiery furnace of the seven-year tribulation. At the midpoint. That's Jesus in there in that fiery furnace. By the way, it's known as the Christophany, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus the Christ. That's Jesus in there, the Son of God, God the Son. And what does he do? He saves them in the midst of the seven times hotter fiery furnace. It's a picture, a type, a prophecy of how Jesus will save. Better said, Israel will come to a saving knowledge of their true Messiah, Jesus the Christ, in the midst of the seven-year tribulation. That's what that pictures. And it gets even better, and I'm almost done. Question, where's Daniel? He's not there. Huh, where is he? I'm so glad you asked. He was pre-furnace taken up to a high position prior to the seven times hotter fiery furnace, and as such is a picture, a type of the church. He was a pre-furnace believer just like Enoch was a pre-flood believer. Enoch, a picture of the church, walked with God, and then one day, poof, he's no more. Why? Because God took him. Where did he take him? He took him up. He was raptured up. Noah, his family, a picture of Israel, they go into the flood, are saved in the midst of the flood. That's Israel. I mean, the typology is replete. I, can I just do one more? Because they all kind of go together. Pre-furnace, pre-flood. How about pre-famine? Joseph, seven-year famine, not an eight-year famine, not a six-year famine. The furnace was not turned up six times hotter, seven times hotter. The famine, how long did it last? Seven years. Joseph, a picture of Christ, who took a Gentile bride pre-famine, a picture of the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ. That's just three of many. So what's my point? All of this points to the person of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of it. The purpose of Bible prophecy is that it is a sign, Moad, that points us to, that's what's coming, but that means I know who's coming, and the more signs there are, and the closer those signs are together, 
the sooner he's coming. One last thing. I haven't said one last thing yet, right? So I'm good. Uh, I've shared this before. My wife and I missed our train from Cairo to Alexandria. My aunt drove us there. She lives in Giza. We stayed with her. And traffic, listen, horrible. We, we missed the train. We had to take a cab. Listen, you really want to go see Jesus? Take a cab from Cairo to Alexandria. Seriously, we thought this is it. This is how it ends. I'm looking at my wife. She's looking at me. I love you. Thanks for the memories. We didn't have a lot of memories. We were still, you know, this is BC, not before Christ, before children, when we could travel. And so, you know, I, I just wanted to take my wife to Egypt and show her where my dad was from. And, and so here, here we are, we're in this cab going 185,000 miles per hour, not kilometers. And uh, it's 125,000 degrees Fahrenheit, not Celsius. And there's no AC. And uh, there was a couple times where I just thought, this is it. We're going to die. And I, I started looking for signs that would tell us how close we were to Alexandria, our final destination. Those signs could not come fast enough. The closer we got to Alexandria, the more hope filled my heart and my wife's too. And in fact, the closer you got to Alexandria, the more signs there were Alexandria, 10 kilometers, they don't use miles, five miles. I'm like, yeah, five miles. Two miles, one mile, boom, you made it. The closer you got, the more signs there were. And so too is this true with the signs that Jesus is coming. I say it every week. There will come a week where I will not say it because I will not be here to say it. And you better not be here <laughs> when I'm not here to say it, because we will have been taken up. But I'm telling you, Jesus is coming and it is sooner than any of us can possibly even begin to imagine. And that's the whole point of these prophecy updates. This is why we end with the gospel, childlike simple gospel and explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. Please, I hope you don't I've been doing this for how many years, and I know that this becomes rote. I understand. I get it. But can you just give me two minutes? Because you don't know that there might not be somebody here in this service, or certainly somebody watching online, that's going to get saved as a result of what we're going to do in the next two minutes. Actually, now one minute and 45 seconds, I just 15, 15 seconds. The A, very simply for admit, acknowledge. I've sinned. Because unless and until I acknowledge I'm a sinner, I have no interest in the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. You might be a good person. You'll never be good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Now we got Romans 6.23 that kind of packages together the bad news first with the good news. What's the bad news? Well, you have to enter the sentencing phase now because you've been found guilty. So you're going to be sentenced. Well, what's the sentence? Well, it's the death sentence because the wages of sin is death. 
That's the bad news. You ready for the good news? The good news is, is that Jesus came and went to and paid your death penalty in your stead when He died for you on the cross. And He purchased with His blood, paid in full, purchased you, were not our own, but were purchased with a cost. It cost Him His life to offer us this gift, the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift that we receive. He paid for it. The B, very central, is for believe in your heart. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe. And by the way, to believe means to, because even the demons believe in God and tremble. So it's, it can't just mean that. Well, I, I, I believe in God. No, no, no. To believe in Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. What you're saying is you're putting all your trust in Him for the forgiveness of sins. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, very important. That's the gospel, by the way, you will be saved. What do you mean that's the gospel? See, the gospel means good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. Good news. Gospel. What debt? Well, He paid your death debt, your sin debt, the wages, which is death. He went to His death for you. The death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the C is for call upon the name of the Lord. Or as Romans 10, 9 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in my heart is going to come out of my mouth. It's not what goes into a mouth, a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out. And what comes out is what, I know this is, again, deeply profound. Whatever's in is going to come out. So the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks and confesses. Romans 10, 13, lastly says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's so simple. It's childlike simple. I chose today's But God testimony because it's a powerful testimony from a former lesbian that speaks to how God uses the prophetic signs of what's coming to point us to and even bring us to who's coming. Jesus the Christ. It comes from Shauna Wilkins who writes, this is just a humble thank you for being a vessel for Jesus Christ. My partner's mom watched you all the time. She passed away in 2017. Through my partner's prayer and persistence, I eventually started listening to your prophecy updates and then your sermons. Since then, I have been saved. Hallelujah. We have repented and now live as sisters in Christ. I was so afraid of the Bible, I would cry anytime I thought of even cracking it open. And now I cannot get enough. It's like finally the Holy Spirit can work in me. I, I feel this huge rush of relief. I love being washed in the water of the Word. I listen to Bible studies pretty much every day. 
to be honest, it is the most comfort, warmth, and love I've ever felt when I study God's Word. Jesus truly is amazing and wonderful. I am a new creation, and I'm so grateful. I move to tears almost daily. I wanted to let you know that I pray for you and your congregation. I hope you all know what a blessing you are to so many. Even those of us who were homosexual, who can now be free from our sin and live for Christ. It's true when you say God has a sense of humor. This lesbian turned sister in Christ is now the one God is using to spread the truth to her family. Ha! Grace and peace to you all. Shana. Come on up, Capone. Why don't you stand up? The power of the gospel power of the gospel, power of God's word, God's love. Thank you, Lord, so much. Lord, we did arguably cover quite a bit today, but all that we did cover points us to you, Jesus, as it should. And so, Lord, thank you first. But second, if there's anybody that's here in this church that I'm so privileged to pastor or watching online that has never believed in you or called upon you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. They would not delay the most important decision of their life for eternal life. Please, Lord, please, while there's still time, though little time is left, we're really out of time. And Lord, for those of us that do know you, have been walking with you, long for you, would you just strengthen and encourage I know so many are so weary. So Lord, come quickly, Maranatha. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.